This podcast was created on the lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge their continued custodianship of these lands and waters. We recognise that sovereignty was never ceded and that we are the beneficiaries of stolen land and dispossession, which began over 230 years ago and continues today. Welcome to the very first episode of Make It Shequel. I'm your host, Sarah Davidson, a lawyer turned entrepreneur, co-founder of Matchamaiden, author, TV presenter, and you may recognise my voice from my own show, Seize the Yay, an investigation into how some of the world's most inspiring people find their yay. This is a podcast empowering advertising to get equal and it is brought to you by Shequel. Over the course of these five episodes, we will be speaking with industry leaders and experts, exploring what Australian consumers actually want to see, what it looks like to go beyond the diversity tick to show depth of character and point of view, and hearing about the brands who are doing it well. I'm joined by Rebecca Morgan, Senior Project Coordinator for Shequel and Gender Equality Specialist. Bex, it is so lovely to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. So to kick us off, can you just explain to us what is Shequel? Absolutely. Um, so Shequel is a project led by Women's Health Victoria, which is a feminist and statewide not-for-profit. Um, we launched Shequel in 2020 with the goal of working with the advertising industry to achieve a culture of gender equality in advertising. So advertising is not only inspired by culture, but it also contributes to it and shapes it too. Um, this is why it's important to acknowledge and understand the power advertising has when it comes to influencing gender roles, attitudes and portrayals across society. Um, importantly, how can we change them for the better? It really is such an impactful form of marketing and it's wonderful to know there are people like you guys at Shequel who are really dedicated to change. But what does that positive change translate to? What does it mean and what are the changes you would actually like to see? So we, we really want to see authentic, genuine, realistic and equal representations of people in ads. Um, that's every person, regardless of their gender, ethnicity, skin colour, sexual orientation or body shape, equally valued and celebrated. Sequel aims to bring everyone in the industry, so brand owners, marketers, creatives, media buyers, trade press and more together to collaborate on research and resources. Um, we really want to work towards gender equality within the sector together as a collective. I think that is one of those areas where a collaborative approach really is important and it does take a village to make positive change. And now how exciting to have Make It Shequel coming out uh, to the community. How did Make It Shequel actually come to be? Yeah, well, the Shequel team worked with Cantor. You know, they're a world-leading data insights and consultancy company. You know, we worked together to identify examples of authentic, genuine and realistic advertising with a strong commercial impact. We thought a podcast was a perfect way to share the research on how progressive advertising not only leads to um, commercial success, but also contributes to gender equality. Absolutely. And I am so excited for the podcast that we have in store for all of you listening. We have five incredible episodes ahead, but thank you so much, Bex, for helping us kick off. Thank you. I love it when brands defy the norm with their marketing campaigns. I love seeing a real mix of body shapes, of skin colours, of, you know, of genders, of even social classes. Like, I think, 
I'm sick of seeing the really polished, perfect people. To provide some further background and discuss the research findings that inspired the Make It Shequel podcast, we're now calling Irene Joshi, Regional Creative Head of Kantar Insights. Irene, welcome to the show. It is so lovely to have you here with us today. Thank you, Sarah. I'm really happy to be here. So can you talk a little bit more around why this research was done and why it's important for the Australian advertising sector? So I'm sure you're familiar with the Unstereotype Alliance, um, Women's Health Victoria, Shequel. I think um, we're living in an amazing time because almost all um, organizations, um, governmental, non-governmental marketing bodies are looking at how can we reflect culture better um, and how can we have people who have been traditionally underrepresented uh, shown and seen and heard. Um, and that essentially was the backdrop to this uh, piece of work where we wanted to see, is there stereotyping that exists still in our market and what can be done to rectify it? And are there certain shortcuts, easy ways in which we can set the record straight? So in terms of that sort of global scale, where does Australia actually sit in relation to the use of authentic, realistic and equal representations of people in ads? So I, I hate being the person to, you know, to, to give away or give out a scorecard. Uh, but what I would say is as a benchmark, if, if we were to talk about um, just measures that we track, uh, which is, you know, part of the unstereotype alliance, whether it's from a female perspective or a male perspective, uh, the U.S. sits somewhere in almost 71% of advertising um, has female representation and, and uh, male representation is about 66% in terms of people who consider that they are well represented in advertising. Australia, um, if I was to compare the stats, would be 57 and 55 respectively. So do we have, is there a work to be done? Yes, there is. Uh, is there a scorecard that we need to really give ourselves? No. <laughs> but still really useful, I think, to sort of gauge and get some perspective on, on where we do sit so that we do know, you know, how far there is to go. I know something that you did as part of your research was reviewing ads that displayed positive gender portrayals and had a really high commercial impact. So why was that important and what did the research in that area tell us about this? It is important for two, two reasons. One, of course, uh, what I mentioned earlier, which is about building a progressive culture. And it it's high time that we shed differences. I think post-pandemic, there's been an increasing awareness of um, the wrongs that have been done um, for years. Um, but there's an intent, there's a strong human intent to correct those wrongs. So there's that one aspect of creating for tomorrow and creating a better culture. And I do believe that marketeers and advertisers have a huge role to play in that, much more than just governments. Um, the second thing is, it is really good for business. So those case studies that you see are examples of brands that have gone ahead and taken a stance and said, this is going to be our discourse, this is going to be our narrative. And as a result of that, have benefited humongously, both in the short term as well as the long term. So there's no reason why anybody should hold back or worry that you're going to turn away a certain set of consumers or a certain set of target audiences because the minute you start doing what's right by the brand and what's right by the people, everybody comes in. 
I think that's something we've all been reminded of in making this show and collating all of this this data is that, you know, progressive portrayals and uh you know, positive business outcomes, they're not mutually exclusive. They can exist together. And that's something I think people forget. They they think that they exist in separate spheres, but that's definitely not the case. You mentioned that, you know, there is sort of a responsibility for Australian advertisers to look at what they can do better and differently. What, in your opinion, can they actually do to make their content more meaningful to the Australian audience and drive those better business outcomes? So alluding to the business outcomes, let me give you a stat. I'm Cantor, so I have to give you numbers. Um, <laughs> if I was to average it out, I'd say a plus 15% uplift in short-term sales likelihood, which means that if there is a progressive creative which is unstereotyping consumers any which ways or is representing underrepresented people, what you do see is a 15% uplift in consumers committing to go in and buy the product, try the brand, download the app, whatever it might be, and a 29% uplift in long-term equity measures. Now, any marketer who's listening to this would be like, oh my God, that's an easy way of doing it. <laughs> the starting point is actually in our offices. Um, recently, we had this conversation, and I, and I think last year there was the Sheeple panel discussion as well that we had, where we were talking about how our, it needs to start with our organizations and our boardrooms. They need to budget for inclusivity. Mm. They need to have different kinds of people, different people with different people with different backgrounds within the organization. And more importantly, give them a voice and have them heard. Inclusive casting is the is the ideal way to go ahead with. But for that, it cannot be a, a last minute afterthought. Yeah. It needs to be built into the storytelling. So when you get a creative brief and you're working on it, that's the stage where you start building stories which depict people. And anybody who has ever asked me that question, how, are we, how, how do we need to be inclusive? The simple answer to it is walk out, look around the street. When you get into a bus, if you see people and those people, you don't see them on television or the, you don't see them in your advertising, bring them into the fold and give them a part to pay, play. Because presence is just the first step. Um, so in terms of presence, I think it's of 86% of creatives um, do show people with over, you know, women over 40, a realistic portrayal of Australian society, that's there. But from there, the drop to personality and perspective, and personality essentially means that diversity is not a tick box. You've actually cast those people in real life in an authentic manner. And that goes down to 42 from there, when you go down further to perspective, which is each one of them, do they bring in a unique element into the brand or into the conversation that's going on? It comes down to 46%. So that's the number that we need to fix. It's not about tokenism um, and just having people on screen because you'll see the third girl at the back of the heroine is actually, or somebody walking by is actually a person of color. That's That doesn't do the job. You really have to create to ensure that those people come into the narrative connect with the brand and have a part to play. I think that's such an important point to distinguish between that tokenistic presence, but then the added depth that that needs to be backed up by to equal meaningful equality and, and meaningful progressive portrayal. It really looks like there are so many different ways that we can attack this and, and improve from all different angles. Are there any examples of times you think it has been done really well? A couple of examples do come to mind. Um, it's not to say that the others have not, but I'll, I'll tell you what, what really struck me. 
I think we talk about progression through realism, and I, I do feel that Modi Body is a great example there, where uh, they've taken and really owned it very naturally for their categories, so periods and um, own, you know, just, just trying to dispel the stigma and the taboo around uh, periods and um, the, the issues that women face at that time actually helped the brand have a huge uplift in terms of meaning. And when we say meaning, essentially what you're saying is the brand is meeting consumers' needs and is driving brand love. Um, so therefore, going back to my point on there's a huge dividend to be reaped if brands actually go ahead and invest in inclusion and diversity and representation of issues, people um, that have not been spoken for in the past. Um, this is a classic example. I, the other one that comes to mind is actually Suncorp. Um, across different brands, and it is a house of brands, and across different brands, they try and pick up issues of real people and solve for it. So it's not just about tokenism and showing and demonstrating, but there is a say and a do that is required. Um, and off late, what we are seeing is brands are demonstrating it and taking it a step further. And I'll go back to my Suncorp example, where when there's a calamity, a natural calamity, they are there. They're there at the grassroots level. So it's about connecting communities. It's about bringing people together and really solving for problems that, that consumers face on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so yeah, those are some of the classic examples that come to mind. And all of them will, will vouch for the fact that it's really done their brand a heap of good. Yeah, I think it's, it's, you can't underestimate the value of real everyday Australians being able to see themselves and re see themselves reflected in sort of the issues and, and the, the, you know, problems or things that they face every day. I think that's incredibly powerful and obviously shows in the business results as well. And more importantly, Sarah, brands creating to solve for those issues. That's, it's very easy to create a 30 seconder with different people and have conversations, but actually doing something on the ground to make a difference, um, what I call the brand welfare state. Um, and I guess even this year from the, from the can line, uh, which is the 70th can lines, what we did see as a common theme was, was the fact that brands are stepping in and enabling people to, to find ways around problems um, and that is a huge service in, you know, for, for humanity. It's a huge um, progress in terms of what a marketer can do. Um, and sky is truly the limit. Which sounds like we're moving in an incredibly positive direction. What do you think the future of advertising then will look like? And are you hopeful that Australia is headed in the right direction? Yes, I think that's what keeps me going. I wake up every morning uh, knowing very well that one in in our country the first thing is we are amazing storytellers at a time when during the pandemic when globally there was a dip uh, across all markets in the use of humor australia is um, a market the only market in the world that actually held on to its funny bone um, a 33% global average versus a 40% in Australia. Australian advertising is known for that, is known for storytelling, is known for humor, is known to not take itself too seriously. And I do feel that, therefore, the future is promising. It's not that we are not doing um, what's right by inclusion and diversity because we don't want to. It's just that there are so many, many priorities. They're selling the brand. There is 
the inflationary economy at this point in time, so you're communicating value and you're communicating brand equity and you're communicating a great message and in a 30 second on TV or a six or a 15 on digital, it's very difficult to pack everything together. So I do believe that the omission is not a conscious one, it's an unconscious one. And I think the work that Women's Health Victoria is doing or Sheikwil as, uh, as an organization is doing is pushing us in the right direction. The conversations we are having with our clients also starts there, which is all around, you know, how can we be more, a, lot, a lot more inclusive? Uh, is there anything that's going wrong in this creative? Does it offend anybody? And it's not so much about, you know, ticking those boxes or, or getting us to check your homework. It's more about saying, we come in with a different perspective. We see, we test three ads a day um, across. So, which means that we have a database of about 250,000 creatives. There's enough and more learnings resident in the organization to be able to look at that. We are great partners with the Unstereotype Alliance. So we come in with that perspective and we're trained to look for these kind of differences. As a result, I do believe that co-creating with marketeers and advertisers ensures that we're not just creating for inclusion and diversity, we are creating to make brands grow. We are creating so that people who sit and watch a 30 second or don't watch it saying it's a profiteering campaign, look at it and say, huh, that made me chuckle uh, at the end of a day that was really difficult. And if that gets done, then my job is done. <laughs> I also think it's uh, it's so important that, you know, change doesn't happen overnight. It's a continuing spectrum of learning. And perhaps there are some parts of this that are, you know, not necessarily so conscious, not a conscious omission, um, but it does leave so much room for improvement. And as long as we're kind of continuously moving forward on that spectrum of change and doing it together, then, you know, that's a really positive positive future ahead for us. Irene, thank you so much for sharing. You are a wealth of knowledge and we really appreciate your time. Thank you, Sarah. It's truly been a pleasure. The Make It Sheikwal podcast is brought to you by Women's Health Victoria and proudly funded by the Victorian government. We would love for you to get involved in our Sheikwal program, an initiative empowering the advertising industry to take action in better shaping how people are represented in the stories they tell and we all consume. Head to sheikwal.com.au, that's S-H-E-Q-U-A-L.com.au for more information, practical resources and training opportunities. Now back to the episode. Here to talk to us a bit more about gender stereotypes is Respect Victoria CEO, Emily Maguire. Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. We're very lucky to have you here today. Can you explain to us why are gender stereotypes like those we commonly see in ads so harmful? One of the main reasons for me as a CEO of an organisation that's focused on preventing violence against women is that gender stereotyping and gender stereotypes themselves actually create a culture where violence against women can thrive. So for that reason, they're really problematic. More than that, though, if your advertising and your media and your marketing and your communications relies on gender stereotyping, what you're doing is creating a culture where people are put into little boxes and they are told what jobs they can do, what clothes they can wear, what toys they can play with, what products they can consume. And as, as we all know, I think, any time that you're put into a box and told rigidly that that's how you must behave, um, we all want to push back against that. We all want to challenge that. It doesn't let us be our full and true selves. 
can be so reductive when those kind of stereotypes are being pushed out through the advertising that, that we're seeing. So what do we want to see in ads instead of those kind of stereotypes and, and why? So I think um, if I think about a couple of campaigns that I know are out there, um, kind of This Girl Can is a really good example of a sort of a campaign that sort of tries to push against gender stereotypes. There's um, brands like Monty Body and Some Corp have done some really good work around really naturally advertising their product but doing it in a way that is not pushing harmful stereotypes and is actually creating a whole bunch of diversity. Um, I think for ad agencies, mostly the clients that you're working with have got a really prescriptive view of what they think is going to sell a product and it's your job to pitch them differently, I suppose. Um, you know, what an ad might look like, uh, it, what, the way it might be different, it could be, for example, you might want to show little girls having a wrestle outside and getting really dirty to sell a particular product. You might want to show two boys playing with a doll. You might want to show a woman playing, uh, sorry, a woman um, driving a four-wheel drive. You might want to show um, a man with a disability being stressed out about work but also wanting to make sure that his kids have got a healthy lunch. I think uh, advertising firms often think, well, our target audience is this and our market is this, therefore we have to advertise in accordance with norms. And I think what um, Work Like Shequel is doing is really saying, not only are you going to be a better uh, consumer and a better organisation if you can push and challenge those gender stereotypes and create more diverse representations of what the Australian community looks like and thinks and feels, you also have got the potential to broaden your product base. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting how you said sometimes it's not even a conscious choice to do things. People are just in the habit of applying a status quo and not realising even that they're kind of pushing stereotypes out further until they really stop and think about it. I think with in the case of women in particular, you know, women are really largely invisible in a lot of advertising still at the moment. And women of colour, women with a disability, Aboriginal yeah. women, women on low incomes, trans women and women of all kinds of diverse sexualities and gender identities. Can you tell us why it's so important to portray all women, including trans women, in advertising today? There's a basic thing, I think, that is a kind of an overused term but a really relevant one here, that is you can't be it if you can't see it. You cannot imagine yourself um, being in a particular role or holding a particular job or playing with a particular toy or doing something in your life if it's not shown around you. Of course, advertising is not the only thing that we all consume. It's not the only type of media or visual representation, but it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Mm. And we often don't know that we are being advertised to. And therefore, it's got such a huge power to actually um, really not even challenge what is normal because gender stereotypes actually aren't normal. Mm. Not having women of diverse uh, colours and backgrounds and sexual orientations represented in media and advertising isn't normal. What we want to do is make sure that advertising and any other sort of visual representation is really reflecting the diversity of the Australian community as it is today. We want everyone to be able to see themselves and see what's possible for them. Absolutely. I don't think you can ever overestimate the importance of visibility uh, for anyone really in society, but particularly for women uh, and on this topic. But I think sometimes in this, the industry, there are still people who push back or who question why visibility is needed for women in particular areas. And I've heard you speak about this before. So can you elaborate a little bit more on that? I think visibility for women is really important because we want to make sure we've got the diversity of women represented doing a, the diverse range of things that women do, whether that is four-wheel drive or looking after children <laughs> or being CEOs or being gardeners. Um, and 
the other piece is though that uh, diversity and gender equality is not just about women, it's about men too. And one of the powerful things that advertising can do to undo the gender stereotypes that are really baked in, not only to advertising, but to the way in which we all live our lives, is show men doing things that are sort of traditionally feminine. So when, you know, that example I was giving earlier of have a dad who's, you know, willing around the kitchen with disability, half panicked about what he's got to do because he's on his lunch break, but he's also trying to make his kids some food because, you know, he's the primary carer. You don't see that because men aren't the ones who go to the supermarket most of the time. Mm. And so actually what you're doing is not only portraying gender equality and men's role as carers, but you're also saying to them, it's your job to go to the supermarket because the person who goes to the supermarket is usually the one making the lunch. And so that's when you bring the kind of advertising target audiences in. Sorry. Um, I think that that piece around the, the reality that advertising has got, the potential that advertising has got to really shift our attitudes, the primary purpose of advertising is to change attitudes not around gender and not around violence against women but around that particular product and why can't you also try and be more progressive and more inclusive um, and try and create a world where gender stereotypes are not pushed through your products and through your advertising Mm -hmm. which will also help to create a world where gender inequality doesn't exist and nor does violence against women. I think it's so valuable that you point out that any kind of redressing of gender inequality can't only deal with one gender. And I think sometimes we do get very bogged down in, well, how do we reshape or recast women and their roles without even thinking about how males are being portrayed at the same time? It's kind of a two sides of a coin that have to work in harmony. So that's an incredibly valuable point to make. What else from your, you know, you have so much experience in this area and we're so lucky to have you here. While you're here, what else do you think that people can do in the industry to to sort of, you know, redress those imbalances? Look, I think um, one of the, the ways in which we talk about uh, gender is that it's it's a lens that you have. You can either have a good one or you can have a bad one. And we are all swimming in this soup of gender inequality and gender stereotypes. And it's hard to see the water you're swimming in sometimes. So the first thing that anyone can do, including those who work in the advertising agency, is to sort of um, put on their gender lens and make sure that they're seeing and calling out where products are reinforcing gender stereotypes or using gender stereotypes to sell a particular product. Um, and I think being really creative in your pitching most of the you know if you're working in an ad agency most of the clients that you're working with are not going to have breaking down gender stereotypes as their primary purpose for engaging you but you can weave there's really good quality data there's fabulous resources on the Sheeple website that you can actually use to help you do that process from every stage of the pitching and to bring both awareness to it as well as a sort of a different solution that really opens up a different market audience and starts to create a culture where gender stereotypes don't exist. I think that's also another really good reminder that, you know, it's not either or. You can have your primary objective in an ad and also be have another objective at the same Absolutely. time. You know, it's not this linear sort of single-focused activity. So you've given us so much to think about, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. As a 63-year-old lesbian, I feel like I don't see myself on ads that much. Although I must say, in recent times, when a car ad or health insurance ad is picture the same-sex couple, even if they are usually under 30 and gorgeous looking, my heart does a little leap. Um, I know I feel much more positive towards those brands that are working towards diversity of representation. Our next guest grew up in a small country town playing football for their local club. 
and by 13, they had to give up the sport they loved when it moved from co-ed to boys only. Now an AFLW star and household name, this guest is here to speak about their sporting career thus far, LGBTQIA plus representation in advertising and the media, as well as being a champion for change. I'm so excited for this chat with Australian creative and footballer Darcy Vessio. Darcy, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so thrilled to have you. Can you start by telling us a little bit about how you fell in love with the sport? Of course, that is AFL, the greatest sport on earth, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, um, well, I suppose footy, um, growing up in a country town um, outside of Wangaratta, um, footy was a big part of growing up. Um, I feel like naturally in country towns, it's you know, football, netball clubs are usually the heartbeat of the town. Um, but I, I've got two brothers um, in the middle, so I've got an older brother and younger brother. Um, and as soon as my older brother Zeb started playing Auskick, um, I was, um, I'm still, I'm very competitive, but I was <laughs> probably even more so competitive back then um, with my brothers. And I thought, right, like I want to be playing football as well as soon as I can. Um, so as soon as I hit five years old I was like right I'm going Oz kick and I think I, I grew up always kicking and um, playing in the backyard and um, yeah I suppose I think for me football like I loved every sport with a ball in it like I just love <laughs> I think <laughs> I think like I love the coordination side and the focus and everything like that but I think footy brought um, a real physicality to it and um, sort of reflecting back, like there weren't really many other spaces where I felt like I could be loud and, um, and rough and for that to be celebrated. And, mm. um, yeah, I, I feel like in football, you have to really understand your whole body to be able to play. Um, and you sort of push your body, um, and you, you learn how to tackle and be tackled and get back up and everything like that. And that was, a really important part, um, I think, for me, um, just being able to express myself um, on the footy field and through skills and stuff like that. So that's sort of why I love footy. Um, and, uh, and I also just love the, um, the size of the team. Like there's not many other sports where you've, you know, you've got 17 or like in AFLW, 15 other people out on the field with you and you're all trying to do the same thing. Um, so I really love that aspect of it, that there's just so many people there. Um, so yeah, I sort of played juniors up until um, I was 14 and then I had to stop playing. Um, and I was mainly uh, the only non-boy playing um, in the in the leagues that mm. I was playing in. Um, but there were a couple of girls who were older than me who had done the same thing. So I sort of knew that that was going to be my pathway growing up in Wangaratta. Um, I'd seen seen them do it and I was like, right, if, if you're not a boy, like you play up until you're 14 and then you hang up the boots and that's oh, sort of how it goes. And um, yeah, it's sort of, it's funny because at the time, like I, I don't remember being really upset. I think I was sad that I couldn't keep going, but I think it was just sort of the way it was. And um, my mum always says, you only know what you know. So that's um was sort of yeah my career um up until that date and I kept involved um throughout school footy um but that was very much 
just shits and gigs like (laughs) there there wasn't much structure like I was kind of the only one of the few people who knew how to play and it was more just a bit of fun um and then when I moved to Melbourne um to study graphic design um I I fell back into footy sort of by chance like I, I sort of thought I'd maybe join a basketball team or something um just to make friends but um I had a a person I played netball with, their dad was really keen on me getting back into footy because um, he knew how much I loved it. Oh, that's um, amazing. Yeah, and he had a, a relative who played for the Darabin Falcons and that's sort of how he got me, like he sort of pushed me to, to contact them and, um, yeah, dad made a call, said, you know, my my daughter's great at footy, like you're really going to want them in your team and then... Um, yeah, must have put in a good word, and then Mum sort of drove me down to training and rocked up with a check, um, paying my fees <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> my some of my teammates still bring that up. Um, yeah, which I, I I think it was really important. Um, just Mum wanted Mum and Dad just wanted to remove those barriers, and they knew how much I loved footy. So I was would have been a struggling uni student, um, probably couldn't have <laughs> paid fees. So <laughs> that was really nice, and. Um, yeah, when I got to Darabin, that was um, like nothing I'd ever seen before. Like I couldn't believe that um, there were women um, and gender diverse people playing football in Melbourne at a really high level. I just had no idea that that was that was a thing. So I I still remember the first night I walked down and saw people kicking and marking, and I just thought, what is this place? Like I genuinely <laughs> I've entered like, Narnia. <laughs> Seriously, I was like, I I was the only one. (laughs) So interesting that you would think that you having to give up footy would be an enormous challenge and a really sad moment in your life. But the fact that it almost wasn't is so telling that you Mm -hmm. kind of were like, well, this is just how it is. And it just reminds me how much visibility and being able to see yourself in a future career or a future position it plays such a role because it means you, you didn't even think it was an option that you could continue playing. And yet here you are as like a famous AFLW player. Mm. And it kind of, so we've spoken to uh, Emily Maguire, who's the CEO of Respect Victoria around that idea of lack of re- representation, lack of visibility and harmful stereotyping, not just of women, but as you've mentioned, in particular gender diverse people who were really largely invisible in advertising, let alone kind of in real life positions in football teams and, and things like that. So as you sort of take us through the next chapter into actually playing professionally, can you weave in a bit about your experience growing up without that representation of firstly females, but then as another level, gender diverse athletes in in the AFL, but also, you know, just around you in society, because I think that's obviously something that made you think you didn't have a future, but then you've been able to, to go on and have such an incredible future in the sport. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of, it is interesting to reflect on because um, I feel like I was made aware that, you know, my footy career did have a limit on it growing up. Um, And I think if, um, so there was a girl who was a year older than me, then another girl who was two years older than me, um, Amber Westcombe and Emily Schultz. And I remember, like, I really loved watching them play and I knew that, Um, they both had to stop and and that was just the pathway and I think maybe if they had not have played like maybe my career would have ended sooner because I didn't 
sort of, I, I don't know, maybe that they provided a level of comfort for me as well. Um, but I, I do think back as well. Um, I think once I got to 13 or 14, I was probably looking at the AFL as well. And I think around that time, maybe it was later, but you sort of start to understand that you're not in the game. Like you, mm. I think growing up a lot of, like you speak to a lot of AFL play, AFLW players and they were sort of like, you know, for a while there, they thought maybe they could be the first girl to play in the AFL. Um, you know, when you're young and playing with the boys, you're like, you know, and the size, yeah. the size is the same and, you know, um, you're like, I could do this. And then what, as you sort of hit puberty, um, you know, like things change and there's a strength differential and everything like that and you're like, oh, like that that's not possible um and then um I feel like you're learning so many other things as well at Mm. that time but I do remember um looking at the AFL and I was a St I'm a St Kilda supporter I'm a Carlton supporter now but I'm (laughs) a deep St Kilda supporter but um like I remember seeing some really poor behavior off field um yeah and sort of you know, there being phrases, you know, school girl, girl scandal and things like that. And just, I remember being really just off put by that. And that was, cause that's the example where you see yourself in yeah. sports media. It's those sorts of stories, um, where footballers are behaving really poorly and disrespectfully towards women. And often that's, that's what you see. And that's, and you're like, well, I don't want anything to do with that. Um, so I think naturally I sort of fell, I just became disinterested in the sport and um, like I kind of followed along, but it just wasn't the same, at the same level as when I was growing up. Um, so I, I often reflect, like looking at things now, I would have been unbearable as a child if AFLW was around. Like I just think of how obsessed I was with the male players. Like if I had have seen W players, I like, I feel like my head would have like exploded off my own body. (laughs) Like I don't, I don't know how I would have coped. Like, um, but it is, it is so important and it's sort of, I don't know, I think to a, to a level you can sort of just accept what's around you and feel like, because you've been conditioned to, that's all you see all the Mm. time. And, And if you don't let yourself dream of a different world where you can see that or Mm. if you're not exposed to something different um you just sort of can sometimes not realize what you're missing out on on, and how that has shaped you and sort of put ceilings on your own understanding of what you can achieve and where you can go Um, totally and like we speak about that a lot in this podcast that the importance of sort of meaningful and genuine representations of people it's not just that you look to other people who have you know stepped in the exact same footsteps as you might want to it's also just in the advertising around you because we're absorbing Mm. information all the time from you mentioned the media like we're you know consuming media all day every day and watching tv and ads and like why do you feel it's important for there to be more authentic representation and visibility of minority groups especially lgbtqia plus people in like mainstream advertising and all media forms and not just you having to go and seek out examples of people who's footsteps you want to follow but being exposed to that as you said it's like exposure Mm. well it's such a it's such a big question but I think it's it's just 
it's fair and it's it's a smart business decision like I don't understand mm. a lot of the time why companies wouldn't get involved in this and um and try to have their company or like the advertising they use reflect people in Australia like you are cutting yourself off from a huge market if you mm. don't and you kind of don't really know I don't know I feel like companies don't really understand how successful they could be or the markets they could be reaching mm. um and like I feel like I'm speaking from a like a business sense but <laughs> you like I don't know I I I think it's a really a strange thing because I feel like all the when I when I read about like the smartest companies in the world like they're all doing it really well in terms of diversity and that's what brings them to the next level and it means that people feel like they can belong in so many more spaces and places and that's that's really important like it's it's one of I don't I don't even know if I can articulate um well enough like how when you're not when you don't see yourself like you so desperately seek any example where you can find yourself yeah absolutely and Darcy something else that you shared uh in sort of the earlier stages of your story was a friend's dad I think you were saying who was really keen to get you back into the sport and I think that's also really telling because I was, you know, recalling a quote that you shared with Nike in 2022 on the idea that every inch we push, we just keep expanding the space a little bit more. And, you know, I love that idea that change is really gradual. It doesn't have to happen overnight. And you said, I'm happy to be part of the group that pushes for that space. So as a graphic designer, an ad and brand ambassador, a well-known athlete, you've really continued to champion diversity inclusion through your work and presence. But this podcast is also covering how change is never really up to just one person. Like obviously you are doing an incredible amount, but there have been people along the way that have been a part of your journey. And then you will be a part of a group of people who are parts of other people's journey. So mm. what do you see as some of the opportunities for brands and the broader advertising industry in, beta, in sort of being part of pushing for more authentic portrayals in an allyship sense as well? Like it's not just up to the individual athlete or the individual person with a dream to be an athlete. It's like the whole community around them. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. I think sometimes it can, I think almost brands and, um, companies can see trying something different as risky. Um, whereas I see it as like, it's amazing, like it's an amazing thing to push into a new space and see what happens. Like I, yeah, I, I think people get really excited by seeing brands do something different and actually invite people in and to not think that they have to tread really carefully and worry about upsetting different groups and that sort of thing. Like I I really enjoy working with brands who are willing to be bolder. Um, I don't see it as a risk. I see it, yeah, as more being on the right side of history and actually being like, nah, we're standing with these this group of people because we know that that's the right thing to do and we know that this is where the world is heading and this is a better and safer place for everyone if we're part of that change. So, mm. yeah, I I think um, whether it's small, like, that's funny, like ads can do like the tiniest thing and if if it's something to do with your minority group or like if you've never seen it before, for someone else it might go straight past them. 
But if you're part of that group and you're used to always seeking those things out and you're desperate to find yourself on an ad or something like that, mm. like it like could not be more obvious. And like you, you get that warm feeling and you have that connection with that, with that company as well. And you feel like, like they're for me and, and that's mm. who I want to be supporting. So yeah, I've, it's such a big, it feels like a really big thing. Um, but it can, as you said, it can be just small, small moments, um, inviting someone in, showing someone, um, who doesn't normally get seen, um, on different platforms and things like that. Um, but it goes a really long way and you just don't know who you might be impacting, um, down the track. Cause they might not even realize that that is a moment. Like I have moments now when I look back, I didn't think it was a big thing or, you know, mm. I was like, Oh, John wants me to get back into footy. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. <laughs> and then you look back and you're like, that was a huge moment. In yeah. my life. Like pivotal. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what was I doing? I didn't see it at the time. Um, but yeah, I just think of all those little things we can be doing that, um, it means that it's a lighter load for everyone and it's a more sustainable way to, to progress things forward. Cause often in, um, I feel like when people are pushing for change, like you can feel like you're doing it on your own. Um, mm. so to have, um, to see it in front of you as well and to see the change, whether you're watching TV or social media or whatever, if you can see those little moments as well, that also, um, can boost your spirits and, and keep you going. Totally. And I think the thing with incremental change as well is that in the moment it can feel like lots and lots of small little steps. But then when you look back to you pre-13 or like around the age of 13 when you just didn't even question that you'd have to give up the sport versus yeah. now when you're like a professional footballer, like a professional AFL player, like yeah. to measure the change from that to now, even if it's felt small in each year, that's a huge evolution. Like Branding and representation in football has evolved so much over the years and what was like literally exclusively a male sport is now a league that really strives to foster a really inclusive and supportive and safe culture for people, not just of all genders, but also ethnicities and cultures and sexual orientations. And yeah. I think also we have to acknowledge that like no one is perfect, no company is perfect, no one's like already achieved everything they need to achieve, but yeah, and obviously the AFL still has a long way to go, but given the big shifts you have witnessed in even just your career and experience throughout, do you feel hopeful that as a society we're moving in the right direction? And is there anything that, any big hopes that you have for the future of advertising and inclusivity that you'd kind of love to see in your lifetime? Oh, um, I think generally I am a hopeful person. Um, I think you sort of have to be, I think, yeah, I, I feel like you have to have the belief that things are getting better. And often when you, yeah, as you said, the incremental change, when you're in it, it can feel like a real grind all the time, but you have to be able to sort of zoom out for a second and like actually have a look around and see how things have changed. Even if you feel like you're still fighting very similar fights. Um, but I do feel like even my short time in AFLW, like it's the conversations are shifting, um, and changing and it feels like the same conversation, but it 
has shifted slightly. Like it's even the language we use is different. Um, it's like the value is the same, but I don't know, the environment is slowly shifting. So that gives me a lot of hope in where we'll be in, you know, like another seven years time. Um, as for advertising and, um, I guess the way that AFL does it, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the future looks like, but I would love to see more of it. Like, I just, I, I feel like we don't see enough W advertising. And, um, even if we look around at the world cup at the moment, like I am loving, like there's Matildas everywhere. It's like, <laughs> I just see them every everywhere I look, and that's what I want for AFLW and for other sports as well. I want them to see that if you make something a thing, it's a thing. Mm. Like I, I often like I think it's not it's not rocket science. It's it's like <laughs> it's just like if you make it a thing, if you put it in front of people, it's good. Like people will like latch onto it. Like give them something to get excited about, um, and make it easy, make it accessible, build the hype. That's what I want to see. Amazing. I mean, I think that's like the phrase of the whole podcast. If you make something a thing, it's a thing, which is which is where the power of advertising lies. It is to like decide for the Australian population that something is a thing and roll with it, which I think is exactly kind of what we're trying to impress on on the industry and the listeners and all the participants in the industry that we can make this a thing if we all commit to it, you know. Just it's it. You're right. It's not rocket science. Let's just make it a thing, and then it yeah. is. Let's be the Tillies everywhere. Let's do it. Let, yeah, <laughs> let's be the Tillies. It's not too late. The Tillies of each industry. Like exactly. <laughs> it's not too late. Never too late. <laughs> oh well, Darcy. Thank you so much for your time. You are a huge inspiration and a real change maker. And I'm sure there are so many, you know, young kids who look at your career, and that makes their journey, you know, a lot a lot more hopeful than probably yours was when you were younger, which is in itself a huge, huge hope for the future. Thanks so much, Sarah. I really enjoyed the combo. So thank you. Well, that brings a jam-packed first episode of this podcast to a close. We all have so much to think about after just one episode, and I cannot wait for what lies ahead in the next four. It's clear that we need to be aiming higher. Advertising should be inclusive, portraying all Australians. And as we heard today, you can't be what you can't see. That one really stuck to me, and I think it will be something I, I reflect on a lot in the coming weeks and hopefully years. It means and does more than you think. But on the spectrum of change, I think we are moving in the right direction. Don't just take it from me. You've heard it from yourself today and will continue to hear that advertising that connects with your audience in a way that truly resonates, businesses can expect their campaigns will see commercial success, including lasting brand loyalty with this kind of advertising. It's a win-win for all. I think it really stuck with me from this episode that inclusivity is, of course, not going to be the only or even the primary concern concern that businesses have, but that doesn't mean that it's mutually exclusive with good business outcomes to put inclusivity more at the forefront of their priorities and conversations. We have so much coming for you still in the coming episodes. I have so much excitement for the wonderful guests that we'll hear from and the topics that we'll cover. We'll be talking to industry leaders, creatives and directors. We'll be taking a look at some frameworks that ensure positive and progressive portrayals, hearing personal experiences of underrepresented and misrepresented groups. There is just so much to come. I am so looking forward to continuing 
having our conversations. Thank you all so much for joining us for this first episode and we will see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share the show to help us spread the message of equal advertising. And of course, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes of Make It Shequel. One thing that annoys me as a mother is the way that mums are represented in ads. Um, I feel like there's a huge trend for them to be like really flustered and like kind of mumsy. And I appreciate what the advertisers are trying to do, but I think it's like almost they're going too far and it's getting a bit cheesy. I'd love just to see a normal mum in an ad, to be honest.